1: ER vet on Pet Life radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about all things surgery with Dr. Steve Burchard. We'll be right back after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about surgery. So if you think that your dog or cat ever is going to have surgery or has had surgery in the past, we're going to talk about what you need to know and when you need to potentially reach out to a veterinary specialist, which is a little bit different than your veterinarian. I'm really excited to speak with Dr. Steve Bercher today. And today, we're going to be talking about his book, which is called Their Tails Kept Wagging. Pets show us how hope Forgiveness, and Love Prevail. Dr. Burchard, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: That's my pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: Just so our audience knows who you are. Do you mind giving us a little bit of background about where you trained, what you do, and a little bit about your book?
0: Sure. Well, let's see. I, I grew up in the Philadelphia area and uh, went to undergraduate school, college at Rutgers University in their pre-vet curriculum. And I um, well, to go a little bit even farther back from there, I, I was lucky that I always knew I wanted to be a veterinarian, even as a child. I just love being around animals. They seem comfortable with me. Uh, one of the funny things I like to talk about just briefly is that we really didn't have any pets growing up. So I wound up having to play with other people's pets and a lot of people now talk about uh, playdates with their children. Well, I actually went on playdates with other people's dogs because I didn't have one. So uh, when I tell people that now, they think that's a little bizarre, but, but at least uh, for me, it was a lot of fun. And anyway, I, so I, I've always wanted to be a vet. I never had any confusion about that as a career choice. I went to veterinary school at the University of Missouri graduated in 1976 and went into private practice back in my old neighborhood in southern New Jersey. And I practiced uh, in a general practice for two years with one other veterinarian. And I, I noticed that during that time that I really enjoyed the surgical aspect of private practice. And uh, it was something that I got a lot of satisfaction from. And I, seemed, I always was comfortable with it. Well, then a, a, a very good friend and colleague, Dr. Ron Bright, actually called me while I was in, uh, at this practice and said, hey, we, are, we have a residency opening at Purdue in West Lafayette, Indiana for a surgical resident. Do you want to apply? So this is back in the old days where you actually were invited to apply for a residency, not like today where there's hundreds of applicants for one or two spots in a, either a practice or a veterinary school. So I was kind of lucky. I I hadn't really done an internship. I went to Purdue for my residency program uh, and got board certified in uh, veterinary surgery in 1984. My first two years outside of my residency were at the Animal Medical Center in New York City, which was a great place for me to go early in my career. Tremendous caseload. My service probably operated anywhere from 25 to 30 animals per day. And so it was a great learning experience. After the Animal Medical Center, then I went, I took a position at uh, Ohio State College of Veterinary Medicine as a faculty member, teaching veterinary surgery, small animal surgery to the veterinary students. And I was there for 27 years. Now I'm sort of retired. Every time I think I'm retired, then I wind up um, consulting on a case or scrubbing in on a case. (laughs) My wife is also a board certified surgeon. So sometimes I I go into the practice. uh, Right now, we're in Indianapolis at a practice called MedVet Indy. So I still go in and help her. Um, I still occasionally help out with some papers and chapters. Uh, I still do a little speaking here and there. So I tell people I'm Almost retired, but not quite.
1: I totally get that. And it's so nice to know you're also a Jersey person. Most people don't know I'm a Jersey girl. I grew up in Central Jersey also, and my father taught at Rutgers. And that's the reason why I didn't want to do animal sciences at Rutgers was because my father was there. And yeah. uh, like you, always wanted to be a vet since I was seven. Now, you know, I'm really excited to talk to you because we're going to talk about surgery in a second episode. Um, but before we begin, I wanted to talk to you about your book. What prompted you, first of all, to write the book, Their Tales Cat. Wagging, And who is the intended audience for this book? Is it veterinarians? Because we as veterinarians all know your surgery textbook uh, that you published. But tell us why you wrote this and who it's intended for.
0: Yeah, I really wanted to write a book for pet owners or or really anybody in the animal world, groomers, dog uh, handlers, uh, show people, breeders, but really anybody that loves animals and particularly the pet owners. And I you know, I, this is my first time to write anything for pet owners, so it was a, a quite a bit different than what I had done in the past. Everything I had written in the past was intended for veterinarians or veterinary technicians, and it was very clinical, very technical in nature, uh, or clinical research in nature. I was just really interested in in reaching out and connecting with pet owners, and th- uh, for a lot of different reasons. The main thing is I wanted them to be inspired by these animals that I I treated or I assisted in their treatment, where they had really life-threatening conditions. And I wanted to tell their story. I was dying to tell their story. I've told their stories to veterinarians really almost like all over the world. But now I wanted to get the pet owners involved because I wanted them to see, first of all, the incredible resilience of these animals to recover from these kind of illnesses and injuries and also to show them where the profession is today and and how much we've advanced in our abilities and which just like you with in emergency medicine health, there's so much more that is done now and successfully done for animals with really serious illness. So that, that was a big part of it too. But I think The main thing is, I wanted the pet owners and and animal people to be inspired by these cases. I see it as sort of two elements, two major elements. One is the veterinary medicine part of it. That is, I I do go into some detail telling about the treatments that these animals went through. But then I also wanted to bring in the intangible nature of of these, these cases and these animals. And for example, how they affected us emotionally. You know, some of these dogs and cats were in the hospital for weeks and weeks and they, you know, they ran a roller coaster of, well, now's a good day, but then the next day's a bad day. And it really can be emotionally exhausting for the people that are taking care of these animals. So I wanted to bring that out, but also show that I feel like that these intangibles really do play a very significant role in their recovery from serious illness like this. And that's where the, the subtitle comes from, so yeah i think I think that kind of sums it up. Uh, the interesting thing is that a lot of the uh, initial sales of the book actually were veterinarians <laughs> uh, because a lot of them are from my former students when I was at Ohio State. They saw that I'd written a book, so they you know they got it and I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from the vets that have bought it, even though I hadn't really expected that originally so. It's very gratifying. The whole the whole process is a lot of fun and it's very gratifying to to hear back from people that say, hey, I I read your book and I really enjoyed it and that kind of thing. It's it's fantastic.
1: That's great to hear. Now you did mention your subtitle, which is called Pets Show Us How Hope, Forgiveness, and Love Prevail. And, you know, while I know that you initially intended the book to be for pet owners or animal lovers, it's also always great to hear that veterinary professionals are reading it. And I think, you know, on a day to day grind, with life being so busy as a veterinary professional, we oftentimes, I think we do end up reading books like this because we have to remember the reason why we fell in love with veterinary medicine, you know, since we were seven or since we were right. young, it right. was to take care of pets. So do you mind just giving me a little bit more background about why you ended up naming your subtitle? How do pets show us hope, forgiveness, and and love?
0: Right. That's That's really a good question. And I have to admit right off the bat that there's a little bit of anthropomorphism in all this, and, and, and that's okay. I, I think we should have the freedom to say that animals can have a certain effect on us emotionally because maybe they are feeling some of those same emotions, although it's hard to, it's hard to prove that. But if you take some of the examples out of the book, for example, hope. Well, chapter one is about this really expensive and, um, and athletic labrador retriever named rip who came in he was owned by a obviously a very wealthy uh business owner who flew him in in his private jet to us at ohio state and the dog had a gastric dilatation volvulus or as it's known in layman's terms a bloat which is a really serious problem with the stomach i think a lot of pen owners are familiar with it especially if they own a large breed dog but anyway, we did surgery immediately when he came in, and, and then he just developed one complication after another. And these were serious, life-threatening complications. But every step of the way, just when I thought he might actually die or, or really not recover for a long period, even when he was so sick that he couldn't get up, he couldn't bark, he, he couldn't move any part of his body. His tail was still slowly wagging as I came in the ICU to look at him. <laughs> and that, to me, that was a sign from him that, hey, he said, don't give up on me. I can still wag my tail. And so there, he's really the, uh, the stimulus for the book's main title, because I'll never forget him. I, we wound up operating him four times in a period of about three or four months, all of which were really major operations. And he made it through all of that. And like I say, every time I I was starting to lose hope in him, he would wag his tail and that would give me that hope back. The forgiveness part really comes from the chapter about Charlie, who was a dog that was accidentally, the owners tied his leash to the bumper of their car and then forgot. And he was accidentally then dragged on the road for about a mile. And of course, that created a horrible... uh, array of, of injuries mostly skin injuries but also some orthopedic trauma and that uh, you know was purely induced by these poor owners I felt so sorry for them because it was a completely an accident they were in the middle of a move and they they just needed to to tie him up to someplace so he didn't run off while they were in and out of the house all day long so they obviously they were just completely ridden with guilt and remorse and you know comp- felt horrible about it but the thing is that Charlie, Never acted in any way that he was mad at them or held a grudge against them. Every time they came to visit, which was very often during his three to four weeks that he was in the hospital, he would immediately, as soon as he saw him, wag his tail, look very uh, excited to see them. So you know, I you could say that it's a pretty big stretch to say that he forgave them, but I I'm going to call it that because. I just feel like his his ability to put that behind him, how the injury occurred, and to continue to love these owners uh, at a time when they needed that so badly. Uh, so in a short synopsis, that's his chapter. And then, of course, the love part. And, and love is, uh, I think, really a part of all these animals and all these chapters is that they were these dogs and cats who had such horrible injuries. One of the cats, uh, Maximus, had... Uh, burns over thermal burns over about 30 to 40% of his body and uh, had a prolonged period of wound therapy and therapy for uh, complications. But he was just so surrounded by love from his owners, by the staff, all of us. And and I think he felt that. And I th- think he that helped him get through that whole thing. And I think that's probably true for most of the animals that uh, we talk about in the book.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, it is amazing to see we always, you know, jokingly say that certain breeds have different wills to survive, but their tail for the dog always always seems to work in ICU. And we see that with cats too, uh, when cats are purring. And we know cats don't always purr from contentment. Sometimes it's from, you know, nervousness. Sometimes it's from other factors. But I always love seeing that tail wag just because it does give us a, a renewed hope that that they realize that we're trying to help them. What was your original purpose in writing the book?
0: Yeah, that, and that's kind of funny because I, my co author, uh, Faye Anamavis, uh, who is a former minister, so it's kind of an unusual combination of people, a veterinarian and a, and a former minister, and who does, he still does a lot of consulting and counseling. Uh, he's written a, a bunch of different books about church uh, issues and also suicide prevention and things like that. We talked about trying to do a book together, and he said, Well, you know, you've always told me how you think. A healing of a wound is a miracle. It, there's a miraculous nature to it. He said, why don't you write a book about that? So I thought, okay, yeah, I'd love to write. You know, I think one of the, the things about writing a book that I would always recommend to people is find a subject that you're just fascinated with and really curious about and love to talk about. And that will make it the book. It, it, the book will almost write itself if you have that kind of passion for the subject. So anyway, it was initially just really kind of focusing on showing people how amazing this process is. And a lot of the preface, I do try to describe the process of wound healing in layman's terms. i using some metaphors. But honestly, as I was writing the book, it became less about the actual biology of wound healing and animal recovery and more about almost, I guess you could call it the spiritual aspects of the of their recovery, and that is these intangibles that we talked about, the effect that they had. You know, one of the things we were always taught, and i and I remember teaching this to students is try not to get emotionally involved with a patient because it's just going to uh, it's going to be so exhausting to you. But you know, here's the thing, I think it's impossible not to. And I talk about that in the book with all these different animals, how you know, I, I I became emotionally involved. I became attached to them. I couldn't help it. I, you know, we were seeing them every day, day in day out, for weeks at a time. So anyway, I yeah, I the book kind of took on a life of its own uh, by beginning to to look at these, like I say, these intangible, these emotional, these these factors like the hope and the forgiveness and the love and uh, and how that played such a big part in, in their recovery.
1: Not to get attached to them. And I always tell people like, if you feel like you're not getting attached to your patient when you're caring for them as a veterinarian, it's probably a good time to take a break because, you know, that's what drove us to become veterinarians in the first place and caretakers for them. Now, I love how your book is a collection of stories about dogs and cats that have survived really difficult situations or critical illness. And, you know, that was the goal of ER vet. it's to be able to educate dog and cat owners on what they can do to help avoid that costly visit to the ER, to help preserve that quality of life and that human-animal bond they have with their pet, and what they can do to best take care of them. And I will also say, to alleviate the guilt of a lot of people out there, like, even veterinarians dogs get hit by a car or eat poisonous things, like, that stuff happens, so you should never feel guilty. You know, I loved how you shared the story of that poor, poor dog that was tied to the movie truck. And I can't imagine the horrible, horrible guilt that you feel when you cause that injury. And please know, we know a lot of this stuff is accidents, right? Same exact thing when I see a dog that's accidentally run over in the, their own driveway. And it, it's a what we call a slow rollover hit by car. And those are actually much, much worse. They're much more damaging to the body to be slowly rolled over versus that acute uh, hit by car where your dog is hit by a car at 50 miles an hour, there's more damage with that slow rollover from crushing injury. But again, I always tell people, it's not your fault. It was a freak accident. And, you know, we see that all the time. But I loved how you picked uh, different collections of stories. Having treated thousands of thousands and thousands of dogs and cats, what was special about these animals that made you choose them specifically for your book?
0: Well, yeah, they're the ones that just stood out in my mind. They're the ones that I would say really modified or changed me as a professional, as a veterinarian. Especially, I think they were the ones that I learned a lot in terms of their their recovery and their the medical aspects. But then I think it also changed me in terms of my the emotional connection I had with them. And I talk about that a little bit of, in the book as well, is that my personal history leads me to to have it. I really want to connect with these animals. And then when I see them recover from horrible illness, it helps me as a person because it it gives me a better outlook on things. So they've always stood out in my mind. Uh, They're also, I mean, from a practical standpoint, there were also animals that I had a lot, I had collected information on them and kept it. So I could go back to those documents, those records. uh, For example, many of them I've been using as case reports in my lectures over the years. So I've been telling the stories of these animals to veterinarians for years, and now I wanted to tell the same stories, but but in a way that the pet owners, uh, you know, could understand what was going on. And I think because they they had life threatening problems, it just makes their stories even more compelling, and and make the fact that they lived uh, so amazing. I mean, the one dog we haven't talked about yet is that. Uh, Dog Josie, who was uh, shot with an arrow, supposedly accidentally, but you know we're not sure. But she was shot with an arrow that went into her chest and came all the way through her heart. And now there's a patient that uh, you'll never forget a patient like that ever, because she walked in, a yellow Labrador, young yellow Labrador, walked in with an arrow sticking out of her thoracic inlet. And uh, the arrow was was bouncing up and down at the same rate as her heart. So we were suspicious that the arrow had at least penetrated the heart. Well, when we took the radiographs, we found the arrow was completely through the heart. It entered the right ventricle and exited the left ventricle. People over the years, and I'm sure you've been asked this as well, is what's the most amazing case you've ever had or the most amazing uh, surgery you've ever done? And well, that's it. That dog, Josie, That she qualifies as the most incredible case because she she required an immediate major thoracic surgery cardiac surgery and uh, she survived and she, she made it and uh i'll never forget that that was a uh, one of those life-changing <laughs> events in your in your career
1: great stories i absolutely love them we'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors molly here's your dinner <laughs>
0: There's a six-inch tray for large bowls and a four-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E T-R-A-Y dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLiferadio.com. Pet
1: Welcome back to ER Venom Pet Life Radio. I'm your host Dr. Justine Lee and I've had the honor of speaking with Dr. Steve Burchard who's a board certified veterinary surgeon and a former full professor at Ohio State University or I should say the Ohio State University's veterinary school. We're talking about his book that he wrote and that recent release that is called Their Tails Kept Wagging. Pets show us hope, forgiveness and love prevail. We know any dog or cat owner or any owner at all knows that's true. Our animals bring so much joy and we know they forgive us. We know they bring so much hope and so much love. And what we've been doing is just talking about the collection of stories of ducks and cats that survived so much, including major surgery with Dr. Burchard. And you know, it's interesting because I grew up reading James Harriet's stories. And, you know, it was nice to see PBS doing a series on that. But if you ask a lot of veterinarians, that's how they first fell in love with veterinary medicine. It was seeing the backside of what a veterinarian does for a pet. So I absolutely love the fact that your book has a collection of stories because I think that people love to read. Now, what do you hope pet owners will take away from these stories and what lessons will they learn or how will they be inspired by the animal patients in this book?
0: Yeah, that reminds me of something with your induction is is that one of the um, other things I wanted to show folks who are not veterinarians is just kind of give them a little bit of the behind the scenes. And especially to see, you know, how we, how we approach these animals, the things that we do. But again, going back to this intangible part, just the, the relationship that we develop with these animals. I mean, we talk a lot about the human-animal bond. And I think whenever I've read articles about the human-animal bond, it, um, it seems like it's always the owner or the other, uh, other people, non-veterinarians and their relationship with animals but I wanted to focus on the relationship between the veterinarian and his or her patients, uh, because I, I think that's kind of an overlooked part of what we do. But yeah, these are, uh, these are animals that I hope can inspire people because of what they went through and the fact that they didn't give up. Just like you mentioned, the will to live. Man, I have never even imagined how strong the animal will to live can be. And you say, well, why, why would they? have that will to live. And I, I think it's inherent in them. But I also think that these, you know, these are domestic animals that we bred to be our companions. And we, I think uh, over the years or the thousands of years that we've had these domestic animals, we've tended to select those animals that try to please us. They try to do the things we ask them to do whether they're field trial dogs or uh, service dogs whatever they are so when we as the veterinarians and the technicians we go in if we get excited when they're starting to recover i think they know that i think they sense that they feel it so they, they i think that gives them hope that gives them look these guys really want me you know how focused we get about their eating if we see an animal start eating It's like now they've, you know, they're starting to turn the corner. They're starting to really get better. Maybe they're going to live after all. So I think they, a lot of times they'll try to start eating because we get so excited about it and they want to please us. But uh, I think owners can, can read these stories and say, oh my gosh, I had no idea that a dog could be shot with an arrow or have multiple surgeries for cancer and still live for so many years. I, I think it goes back to one, I want them to see what's possible so that They don't immediately think that when an animal has a serious disease or has cancer that you have to just either give up or put them to sleep. There's so many things that we can do now that we weren't able to do many years ago. And just be inspired. You know, I think even a person, maybe a person with cancer can read the chapter about Billy Bob that had multiple surgeries for nasal cancer and take some kind of inspiration from that dog who just continued to just live life. Even after so much adversity, so many surgeries, so much cancer, or uh, uh, Maximus the cat that uh, had the burns, or Tigger the cat that uh, had a ruptured trachea and needed major surgery, maybe there's actually people that when—and I hope this happens—is that when they have some kind of serious illness, that they could maybe draw some inspiration from these animals that uh, face the same difficulties.
1: Thank you for sharing that. You know, it is—it is amazing the improvements in quality of care of what we can do in veterinary medicine compared to decades ago and, you know, When I went to vet school 25 years ago, it was very different even then in that we didn't have the same opportunities to be able to do MRI or CAT scan or all the procedures that we're doing right now. That said, playing devil's advocate on behalf of the pet owner, because of that, the cost of veterinary medicine has become so expensive. Do you have one or two tips that you could leave with us when it comes to keeping our pets out of the ER or how we can better manage the growing cost of veterinary medicine?
0: Absolutely, and I, I'm glad you asked that because that I I worry about that too. It, it, that's if there is a uh, any kind of a negative aspect to the advancements that we've made in the profession, it's that we we really are kind of stressing the market in terms of how how much we charge. You know, we do CAT scans and MRIs and non-invasive procedures and and very difficult uh, surgical procedures. We correct birth defects now that we couldn't do before or surgery for major trauma and things like that. I think for pet owners, I I think it boils down to one major thing. And that is I would advise them to seriously consider pet insurance. It's something that's not very common yet, but I think uh, maybe that's something that we just need to educate more folks about is that there's lots and lots of options and different companies I've done a little bit of consulting with True Panyon so I, I know that company a little bit, and I've been very impressed with them. But I think pet insurance is really something to strongly consider. Uh, one of my kids, uh, Justin, he's got pet insurance for his pug. Well, we know how many medical and surgical problems pugs can have, so he's very happy that he has that to rely on. So, I mean, other than just, uh, you know, taking good care of your animals and watching them carefully and being aware of of what they do and, and what they eat and all those sorts of things, I think it boils down to really seriously considering having pet insurance when they're a puppy, when you first get them.
1: You know, I will say when it comes down to it, the best thing you can do is to get pet insurance and work with your veterinarian. I always say my little tips on, you know, that I mentioned on ER vet is treat your pet the exact way that your vet does. And your vet is going to have your dog and cat up to date on vaccines. They're going to make sure they go undergo puppy obedience and dog obedience to make sure they have good recall. So they always come back to you and they're appropriately trained. They're going to exercise them. They're going to make sure they're on preventative care, on flea and tick medication and heartworm medication. So, you know, I always say mimic what your veterinarian does to keep your pet safe. Unfortunately, the costs are getting more expensive in veterinary medicine. And a lot of people don't realize pet insurances can cover anywhere between 10 to 90%, depending on what your deductible is, but they don't cover pre-existing disease. So If you go in and you have an itchy dog and he's diagnosed with allergies, guess what? The tens of thousands of dollars of really expensive atopy or what we call atopic dermatitis, which is like hay fever in dogs, that's not going to be covered anymore. If your dog's diagnosed with a urinary tract infection as a puppy, it's not going to be covered for urinary tract infection for the rest of their life. And that's why we're always advocating. You want to get it as early as possible. You want to get it before your pet has any pre-existing conditions. So when in doubt, please make sure to do this. I know it sounds like a lot because it's anywhere between a dollar to $5 a day, but I will say even as a veterinarian, I regret not getting pet insurance on my last dog because I ended up spending tens of thousands of dollars for his MRI and CT and a stereotactic radiation therapy for his brain tumor. So when in doubt, work with your veterinarian, keep your pet safe, advocate for your pet, but make sure that you have good ways of making sure that you can financially take care of your pet. And again, that's typically going to be with pet insurance. All right. Again, I wanted to give a huge shout out uh, to this amazing book. Love all the stories in there. Their tails kept wagging. Pets show us how hope forgiveness and love prevail do you mind just giving us a little bit of information where do we find the book like where can we purchase it is it a ebook is it paperback where's the best place to go
0: right it's uh, yeah it's it's available in electronic or ebook or paperback not as a hardback uh, but um, really any of the uh, online book markets so uh, Amazon Barnes and Noble Apple Google those all all of the major uh, retailer book retailers carry it
1: And for all you dog and cat owners, this would be a great gift for your veterinarian to leave in their waiting room. So you definitely want to check it out. I'm old school. I always like to have a paper book so I can flip through them versus eBooks, but uh, nice to know that there's all these options out there. Well, Dr. Burchard, I just want to thank you so much for all that you've done in veterinary medicine for your veterinary textbooks and surgery. And so great to see that you have a pet owner one also for veterinary professionals. of just uh, sharing all the stories of all the dogs and cats that you've saved over this time.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It's really been fun. Thank you.
1: Alright, well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Just wanted to give a huge shout out again to Dr. Burchard for being able to talk about his book. And for those of you guys who don't know, you can find him not only on Facebook, uh, but also on his Amazon page. So make sure to check out his book, Their Tales Kept Wagging. You can find me at drjustinlee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of And we want to thank Dr. Burchard and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode.
0: Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.